0: Hi, I'm Lesha Holzaffle, and you're listening to the Fit Mom Squad podcast, a podcast for moms who are ready to lose the weight they want without gaining it back by learning the holistic approach to nutrition and how our brains determine our long-term success. Welcome to the Fit Mom Squad. You're listening to episode 41 of the Fit Mom Squad podcast. And today I have Dr. Stephanie Estima, and we're going to be talking about all things keto for women, fasting for women, and how our periods are a super part. Superpowers. So welcome to the show. Oh, I'm thrilled to be here, Lesia. Thank you for having me. So I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, just found you a few weeks ago on uh, on YouTube on your interview with Ben. And I was like, oh my god, I have to reach out to her. Everything you were saying was just like, oh my god, yes, yes, yes. So I really want to talk about Keto for Women today and fasting, and your book. But before we get into all that, can you introduce yourself to our audience? Let us know who you are and what you do.
1: Sure. Yeah. So my name is Stephanie. I am a female metabolic and body composition nerd and self-proclaimed expert. So I absolutely love learning about all of the different ways that we can apply lifestyle practices like nutrition, fitness, uh, stress reduction movement to the female form. I am trained as a chiropractor with a special interest in, I've always had a special interest in functional neurology and brain metabolism and brain health. And my latest book, which I hope we'll talk about today, The Betty Body, really talks about all of those things. We talk about how we can apply things like the ketogenic diet for women. We talk about how we can move and honor our cycles as women, whether you are someone who's in her reproductive years or you're in menopause, you still have a cadence, you still have a cycle when you're menopausal, it's just not a reproductive one anymore. And then we talk about stress reduction and how to sort of use some of the principles that are often talked about in online spaces and with other experts, but really tailored to the nuances that the female form has. So that's that's a little bit about me.
0: That's awesome. So it's, it's all the things that we all want to know. So my audience in particular, very interested in keto. I've been doing keto myself since... 2015 so i really want to talk about keto for women today because i feel like there's this misconception and that we should just be doing keto how men do keto and i don't necessarily think that's true so i'd like to get your opinion on some things first of all the very first question is i'm just gonna pretend like i have no idea about keto like i'm just a woman that you know Martha at the office lost a bunch of weight on keto and I wanted to try it and I know nothing about it. So this is kind of how I'm going to ask you these questions. Should I be doing keto as a woman? Like, is that good for women to do a ketogenic diet and caveat with that? Are there some women like particular hormone issues that maybe it's not the best choice for them?
1: Yeah. I think that the short answer is it depends (laughs) and it's non-specific and annoying as that can be. And that's just the reality. There's no one cookie cutter application for all women. Like you and I have the same, you know, body parts, you have the same parts, right. But we are going to come to, you know, our genetics are slightly different. We're going to have different epigenetic expression. We're going to have different life experiences that we all bring to the table. And, you know, when we look at, when we look at stats, if someone's saying, Hey, you know what, my friend Martha lost all this weight. Do like, can I lose, you know, can I lose weight too, on the ketogenic diet, you know, the, st- the statistics are going to d- say, yes, like if we look at data, you know, 80 to 90% of the population respond really, really well to a carbohydrate restricted diet where we are restricted. So when we talk about macronutrients, that's just a fancy word for fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. And the ketogenic diet, one of the hallmarks is that we reduce and we restrict our carbohydrate intake while we bump up our fat. And then depending on who you speak to, the protein is somewhere in the moderate consumption range. So so when we are thinking about 80 to 90% of the population, this is great. So some of the reasons why, you know, first we'll start off with who shouldn't do it, right? So there are some people who, what we've seen when we look at labs over time, that this is potentially not the best choice for them. So when we look at there's certain genetic SNPs or certain genetic, um, mutations, for lack of a better word, that don't process our fats properly. So there's a couple of different genes where having alterations in those genes are going to potentially impair your fat metabolism, particularly your saturated fat. So this is and even and I'll also say this, like sometimes we uh, in at least in the functional medicine community, like so much, you know, attention is put on genetic composition. And while of course, that plays into things, we always want to keep in mind the epigenetic expression, right? So genes are one thing, but how the genes live, (laughs) you know, the epigenetic expression of them is another. So in the book, in the Betty Body, I actually start off the ketogenic. There's two chapters that we dedicate to the keto diet. So one is how we can actually get ourselves into ketosis. And in that chapter, we talk about who who this might not be right for. So we actually go through all the lipid, like if you wanted to do a lipid panel, all of the markers that you might request on a lab and what those functional ranges might be. Now for some people and I talk about this in the book, you know, when you first start keto, if you've ever taken and this happened to me as well when I first started keto, I noticed that my LDL number was was climbing for a little bit. It was like it was getting higher uh, as about the 3 month mark and then retested again at month 5 or I can't remember now, maybe month 5 or 6 and it had con- gone back down to normal. And that's actually something that we see in the population. So a lot of times when people first start keto, they say, "Oh my god, like my my cholesterol is just terrible. I have to get off of it. I'm going to have a heart attack." And you know, without I mean, maybe we can go there today too. But I think that you know, cholesterol I think has gotten a, a you know a really bad rap. I think that it is important. It's the main constituent in our brain and our central nervous system. It is the birthplace of your sex hormones, so your testosterone, your estrogens, your progesterones, your cortisol. Like you know, you need cholesterol to synthesize these things. So so cholesterol. There was the cholesterol thing. I was going off on another tangent. Let me get back to where. I was <laughs> yeah, going. I
0: feel like. I agree. Everybody's so scared of cholesterol, kind of like we were so scared of fat. And it's really not something that we should be really entirely worried about per se, but people do, they do freak out when they do keto and their cholesterol goes up and they're like, Oh my God, I have to get off of keto. And it's like, well, hold your horses here.
1: Yeah. If you just wait a little bit, oftentimes the liver, cause what's happening is your triglycerides are now being spilled out into the bloodstream. And so we're, we're going to naturally see a higher TG count. We're going to see higher lipids in general, but if you give your liver a chance to catch up most often, we do see lipid levels returning to normal and in most cases improving. So we see things like HDL to LDL cholesterol ratios, improving HDL the triglyceride levels, improving total cholesterol, improving LDL particle, like all the markers that you might want to look at. Now, that being said, there is a small percentage of the population who I would classify as hyper responders, meaning that, you know, you wait the six months and their lipids are just completely wacky. Their LDL particle number is like 4,000. And in that case, you know, you have a couple of options, right? So you can, you know, you can get off the keto diet. You don't have to do it. You can change if it's a saturated fat, processing issue. You can change the bulk of your fat intake to polyunsaturated fatty acids and monounsaturates. So things like avocados and, you know, olive oil and nuts and seeds and things like that. So for most people, and and this is usually the option that a lot of people take. So like, God, I feel so good on keto. I just, I don't want to stop it. So we swap the saturated fat for the poly and the, um, and the monounsaturated fats. And that typically is the thing that corrects or that helps their markers. But again, this is a small little subset of the population. So I would, Mm -hmm. I always want to just start off by saying, Everything is not good for everybody, right? Mm -hmm. The ketogenic diet for the most part in terms of what I've observed clinically in practice with the thousands of women that I have worked with over several years, it is good for most people. We do see a major improvement in total cholesterol level and LDL numbers and we see amelioration or improvement in HDL numbers, all the lipids that you want to go in the right direction. They sort of all adjust, but I do also like to also point out like the little, you know, the subpopulation, because if you're in that subpopulation, you want to be able to make the right decision for your health. So back to Martha in the office. So the ketogenic diet is, you know, as we said, carbohydrate restricted, pumping up the fats, moderate amount of protein. And what you're trying to gain from this is the presence of ketone bodies and how we get ketone bodies is from our fatty acids going through a secondary pass in the liver and being transferred into ketone bodies. So one of the beautiful things about this diet is it's one of the only diets, as far as I'm aware, that has a biomarker, right? We can't measure how paleo you are. We can't measure mm-hmm. how vegan you are, but we can measure your level of ketosis by the presence or absence or the concentration of your ketone bodies. So that's basically what a ketogenic diet is uh, typical results on keto. A lot of people come to it for weight loss because we see, especially right in the beginning, we see a really big drop in weight, mostly water, because as we are getting rid of glycogen, we know that glucose or glycogen is stored for every one molecule. It's stored with like three to four molecules of water. So we get rid of a lot of the inflammation, we get rid of a lot of the sort of puffiness. And then once you stay with it for a while, of course, now you're using either your dietary fat or your stored fat, your adipose tissue as a source of energy. So it's really great for weight loss, really, really great for the brain. Uh, I've spoken to a lot of neurologists, both on my own podcast and, you know, sort of offline who really do prefer a ketogenic protocol for things like cognition, preventing dementia, stroke, Alzheimer's. So there's a lot of research, even though it's still, you know, I'd, I'd still say it's relatively pedestrian in our understanding of the brain in general, but the ketogenic diet does seem to really help to bring down some of the cognitive dementia, you know, like the walking into the, and this is so true for women, right. In perimenopause, we're like, why we walk into the room and we're like, why did I come here again? Right. Or like, where's my phone? (laughs) I've been doing
0: a lot of that lately.
1: (laughs) Right, right. My
0: husband constantly reminds me what a terrible memory I have. I'm like, can't help it.
1: Right, right.
0: Okay, so in general, obviously it depends, but we well, for see- the vast
1: majority, it's good. But I just always I'm good. always like um, yeah, course. I'm like, okay. Also, also we have yes. this little population here that we must mention as well. And you yeah. have
0: to. If you like any question in nutrition, you you're always like, Well, it depends. Well, right. you, there's always follow-up questions. There never is like a black and white yes or no. Okay, so I'm gonna do keto. How should I do keto? Because you know, me being the resourceful woman that I am, I joined a bunch of Facebook groups and I see all these recipes. And I see, I saw one very interesting recipe the other day. It was two hot dogs cut in half with a cheese stick in the middle melted on. Oh my. Right. And it was like the caption was like, keto doesn't have to be difficult. Just keep it simple. So mm-hmm. is this what I should be eating? Like, how should I approach keto? And how should I approach it differently than maybe what my husband would do if he did keto?
1: Right. Yeah. So in general, I would say, hell no, that's <laughs> not what you should be eating. That's not food. Darn that's, it. that's that's fair. That's frank and that's not real food, right? We don't we can't go out into the field and pick hot dogs off the trees and cheese sticks and <laughs> and what have you. So I would say that one of the hallmarks of the Estima diet, or, you know, my ketogenic offering or my ketogenic program for and it's specifically for women is that it is very much a leafy vegetable plant based approach to the ketogenic diet. And you know, when I first came out with it, it was like maybe five kind of going on six years ago. Now, at the time, it was very much like bacon, butter, burgers and repeat, right? It was like Mm -hmm. very much dirty, what we refer to now as dirty keto. And when I first started doing, keto, I was like, oh yeah, like I can do this. Like I can do like bacon with extra bacon with some bacon on the side. Like I can do this, but then very quickly, first of all, it becomes gross, but also it's really not really great for our hormones. It's not great for inflammation. You're constantly consuming nitrates. So my first offering was this plant-based ketogenic diet. And that is, to, I know plant-based can be this sort of like wishy-washy term, but basically what I'm talking about is the incorporation of specifically green leafy vegetables uh, into every single meal for a variety of reasons for women, which I'm sure we'll talk about today, but namely we're talking about improving estrogen detoxification and elimination. We're talking about androgen aromatization to estrogen, uh, you know, the proper sort of flow of our hormones. We do need these phytonutrients and some of the compounds that we find in these green leafy vegetables in order to bring about, you know, hormonal balance in a woman. So one of the first sort of hallmarks in what I believe is an appropriate ketogenic protocol for women is this idea of insoluble fiber and the, specifically from the brassica family. So the brassica family vegetables are your, you know, your Brussels sprouts and your broccolis and your bok choy and your arugula and your, uh, you know, Swiss chard and all these lovely green leafy vegetables. And they, ha- kale is also in there as well. And what we're finding is, you know, specifically a compound called our compounds called sulfurophanes help with this liver detoxification. So one of the many roles of the liver, you know, she's like kind of the hardest working mama bear you know, like the liver does, she makes glucose, she detoxifies, she's, you know, she's a peripheral oscillator in the body, lots of things that she does. Uh, But one of her main roles is to get rid of extra estrogen or extra hormones. But as it pertains to women, we want to be thinking in this context around estrogen. So the golden rule with estrogen is use it and then lose it. So we want to use it to plump up our cheeks and have all the trophic factors to help with muscle growth. But then we want it gone because when it hangs around too much, it can, it, it can stimulate like estrogen for example, stimulates our breast tissue to divide like the cells in our breast tissue to continue to divide. So you can see where that thinking goes. If you're constantly stimulating the breast tissue to divide and expand the cells, we end up with cancer, right? Or cysts, or we end up with fibrocystic breasts. We end up with tumors, benign or malignant. Sulforaphanes really do help amplify that. Of course, the insoluble fiber that you, I mentioned that you're going to get from these green leafy vegetables are also going to help with your bowel. So we are helping, you know, the foliage is going to sort of clean up the intestinal wall but then also when you have insoluble fiber, you're attracting water, right? To the to the bowel that's sort of forming in the intestines. You know, you want that bowel to be soft. You don't wanna, nobody wants to, you know, have a bowel movement where they're passing, you know, a hard um, hard feces. We wanna have it, you know, softer. So it's easier to do that. So fiber does that. And the nice thing about fiber, I should also say, is it doesn't count towards your carbs, right? So if you are yeah. someone who is thinking about her carbohydrates, right? carbs Carbs matter, right? We wanna be right. thinking about, restricting our carbs. Well, the nice thing with insoluble fiber, like the fiber that we get in the kale and the, and the, um, you know, the broccoli and whatnot is that that doesn't count towards our carbohydrate count. Cause your body can't break it down. It just sort of passes through unprocessed and does all these wonderful things for you.
0: And I think that's one of the biggest mistakes that people make in general with keto. A lot of my clients are just like, I'm so constipated. And I'm like, why are you constipated? What are you eating? And they're barely eating any vegetables because they're obsessing about the carb number. And I'm like, can we just stop obsessing over calories and macros? Like, come on, like just eat the freaking vegetables that is why you're constipated you know and, and it's like and then they just like they're all that fat and all that processed food and all the keto junk food that now exists it's like all of that and all those ingredients and then they have problems with going to the bathroom and i'm just like, like what are your really what is your plate focused on is it focused like a lot of vegetables and then protein and fat or is it like mainly fat right and then some protein and then barely any vegetables so i think it's really important that you said that so besides the fibers. Is there anything else that you think women should be doing differently when they do keto versus men?
1: Yeah, the other the other hallmark that I talk about quite a bit in the Betty Body is the idea of resistant starches. So, resistant starches are kind of like their name suggests, they resist digestion. So, they are starch, so they're still carbohydrate, but again, like insoluble fiber, we can't break this down in the small intestine in order to absorb it. So, again, passes through the small intestine, makes its way to the large intestine, and then there in the large intestine serves as a food source for the microbiome that exists in the large intestine. And this is really important for women because many women who start keto about the two or three week mark, you know, once they've been doing keto for a while, all of a sudden, and this is a pattern I've seen over and over and again, is women will say, you know, I don't care how much fat I have. I just want I just want a piece of bread,
0: The carb monster, the
1: carb monster comes, right? The carb cravings come. And the reason why that's happening is the microbiome in the large intestine is sending up a distress signal. It's like, we don't have any food, right? Mm -hmm. We need food and we get fed with carbs. So they will, that's why you have these crazy carb monster, as you said, cravings because the microbiome is literally starving. So the resistant starches now will feed the microbiome. So now they're going to get full and happy. They're going to release something called butyrate, which is a short chain fatty acid. And if you're someone who's concerned with ketosis, of course, being a, a short chain fatty acid, is going to deepen your state of ketosis. It's going to help you sleep, which is also another thing that I hear women complain about. They say, oh, I can't sleep. I feel, you know, I, I go to sleep, but then I wake up overnight. And then it also helps with your digestion as well. So butyrate has been shown to help with the hyperpermeability in the gut. So if you're someone who has digestive issues, then this is going to be a really important modulator for, or it's an important you know, a thing that you add into your diet in order to help with some of those things. So that's really important for women because, and this is particularly true for women in the luteal phase of their cycle. So if you're a menstruating woman, we have two main phases, follicular phase is the first two weeks. Luteal phase is approximately the like two and a half, like the last two to two and a half weeks of your cycle. And under in that luteal phase, we have a hormonal environment that promotes cravings that slows down our bowel movements that disrupts our sleep. So if you are if you are supplementing with resistant starches particularly in this luteal phase of i mean you could do it all month long but like focusing on it making sure that it's happening and being rigorous about it in the luteal phase of your cycle then you'll find that your cravings are going to go away that your digestion is going your indigestion rather is going to go away your bowel movements will be a little bit more regular which of course feels great and then your sleep is going to be better as well
0: yeah so i know you talk about this in the book with resistant starch and that's interesting I used to actually did an experiment a long time ago where I did the potato starch and mm-hmm. water for like 30 days because I right. heard all these things about it. And I got some weird, like weird things. Like I remember sweating more when I was working out and I felt like my weight was a little more stable than usual, but then I kind of just like forgot about it and let it go. But I did not know about the cravings until I heard you mention it, which is awesome. So besides the, I know you said they're a cool rice cooled cold white rice, rice right yeah. cold mm-hmm. potatoes the yeah. banana green banana powder and then just Correct. like the resistant potato starch are those like the most easily those are the available? yeah those
1: are the most easily available I mean inulin is also another prebiotic that you could can, mm-hmm. that you could use as well chicory root but usually for most people I tend to stick to you know green bananas everyone mm-hmm. understands you put green bananas on the counter over time it turns yellow and that's the resistant starch is actually turning into sugar so mm-hmm. green banana green banana flour, green plantains, the cousin of bananas are in the same, I guess, genus or same family. So green plantain flour, raw potato starch, as you were mentioning, cold rice. So cooked rice, obviously that's been cooled and then cooled potatoes as well. Those can also be a source of resistant starches too.
0: That's awesome. That's such a great tool to have because, oh my God, I wish your book was around when I started in 2015, because I've experienced the estrogen dominance, the constipation, the cravings, because I didn't know all this. And I had to just like, it was just so hard. You kind of like live and learn, I guess. But it's so great that you have this resource now for women, which we will talk about your book in a little bit. Okay. So I know I could do keto. Okay. I'm going to do keto. I know how to do it. How long should I do it? Is this something I should do for like five years straight? Should I take breaks? Should I cycle? How should I go about keto as a woman?
1: So I am of the opinion that a woman should not be in ketosis forever. I know that men, you know, there are men, you know, who are in a state of ketosis constantly. And we see absolutely wonderful things that happen to these men. We see testosterone levels go up, their sleep improves, their fertility improves, you know, sperm count improves, mood improves, growth hormone, like all the things happen to them. The opposite is is unfortunately not true, or I should say the equivalent is not true for women. So when we are in ketosis over the long term, there's a bunch of different different reasons why, but generally speaking, women are much more defensive of our fat stores because we have to keep a little extra padding for that cycle that we have that menstrual cycle that we have every month. So as a woman, you should never get down to 8% body fat. You know, you should never get down to some of these levels that men can very easily achieve. So my short answer is there is a time and a place, a definite time and a place for a therapeutic intervention of pure ketosis. I tend to recommend it in 28 day cycles. I feel like it's a very feminine number 28 or 29, you know, however long your cycle is, but you know, 28, 29 is sort of the standard mean for the length of most women's menstrual cycle. So 28 days, and then you can repeat that once or twice. And then from there, I really like to move on to cycling. So I'd like there to be a week on of keto and then a week off a week on and a week off. And yes, that means that you'll be in and out of ketosis. But as I said, I don't think that you should be in ketosis all the time. I think it can be detrimental to your neurotransmitters, to your moods, to your sleep all the things that really do enter your menstrual cycle, truly all the things that really matter when we're thinking about fertility and, and vitality for women. So I like to cycle keto. So this is another chapter, you know, I mentioned at the top of the hour, I wrote two chap. there's like two chapters in this book on keto. The first is like that therapeutic 28 day cycle. And then the second chapter is on keto cycling for all women. So this is whether you are, you know, you're menstruating, you have a cycle or you're menopausal. I think that every woman, irrespective of age should be going in and out in and out as a way to keep our carbohydrates relatively low in aggregate over time. But the other weeks I like to actually bump up our protein levels to bring, to pull down the fat, to bump up the protein and to bump up the carbs as well a little bit so that we are getting more of this anabolic, this growth response. And this has just been something I have learned over my tenure as a clinician. You know, I first started, like I said, started doing keto, like the guys, you know, thought that I had to be in ketosis forever and thought that insulin was the devil. Like many people people still think in the keto community many people still like insulin is the devil it's like absolutely not like insulin is really important for women when we think about muscle growth when we think about insulin's ability to take in energy put it into the cells so we can create energy, like so we can create energy like a lot of women in perimenopause complain of low energy and brain fog that's an insensitivity to insulin and the other thing that's really important that insulin does is it converts our T4 thyroid hormone to T3 so we know that women especially women who've had children tend to have uh, a thyroid that is more, um, you know, it goes kaput much more easily than, than those of us who have not had children. So uh, that's something to also consider as well. Like insulin is not the devil. If you use it strategically, it can absolutely help you achieve some of the goals that you're after.
0: Yeah, I agree. And I also think it has to do with that whole like carb phobia and how people are, are so they're just worried that if they don't do keto forever, that they'll gain their weight back. And it's almost kind of like, become this, like you have to be all keto or nothing like all or nothing mentality, which I don't think is great for any way of eating. So I'm glad that you said that. So let's transition into fasting really quick before we talk about how our periods are superpowers. Mm-hmm. I love that. They say yes. that in the book fasting <laughs> for women. Do you think women should fast? And what about these like crazy long fast that men do? And they have really great results. Should we do those too?
1: Yeah. So again, the, my answer here is, uh, it depends. I think that most women can fast, but it's how we do it and what the goal of the fast is. So a lot of times I'll get questions like, Hey doc, you know, how should I like, what kind of fast should I do? What should I, and like the, we first want to be thinking about what's your goal with fasting, right? Is it a weight loss goal? Is it an energy goal? Is it a digestive healing? Like, do we want to help heal the gut? Are you having digestive issues? Because that's all going to actually change the way that you fast. So When we think about fasting in general, I like to think about sort of three different variables that we can manipulate. We can manipulate the type of fast that we do. So there's many different types of fast. So you've heard of five, two fasting, there's caloric liquid, there's bone broth fasting, there's just water fasting, there's dry fasting, there's a lot of different ways to fast. So that's sort of the lever that you can pull in terms of like, what are some of the variables of fasting type the length of your fast. So you had mentioned like, should we be doing multi day fasts? Is it something that we should do every day for a short period of time, something that's referred to as time restricted eating? Or is it something that you know, know, we want to try and do like a 24 hour fast. Like that's a diff, those are different examples of lengths and then the frequency, right? Do we do these types of fasts every day? Do we do it once a week, once a month, once a quarter, once a year, you know, how often are we doing it? So So there's a lot of different ways, right. That you can like a lot of different permutations of fasting in general, I would say that, and the other, and so the other sort of layer that we want to think about for women is what is her hormonal status, right? I spend a lot of time in the book talking about what a normal menstrual cycle is versus what, is commonly experienced. And then what are some of the hormonal dysregulations that we can, like you mentioned, estrogen dominance, that's something that many women in early perimenopause, which is something I loosely define as starting at around age 35, you know, start, we start to experience this relative estrogen dominance relative to progesterone in that second half of the cycle. You know, there's also androgen dominance is someone more, is she not aromatizing her testosterones to her estrogens appropriately, right? So that might look like very com- like one of the most common um, disorders there is PCOS. So polycystic ovary syndrome, where we see this sort of pearl necklace, you know, on ultrasound, you'll see like a pearl necklace sign or like multiple like bubbles almost on the ovary. So, and this is really a sign of like androgens, one of, you know, testosterone being one of them that is not switching e- efficiently to estrogen. So your hormonal composition also matters, you know, as a general rule of thumb, women who have PCOS often have also some sort of insulin dysregulation. So more aggressive fasting. So like a water fast is going to be, you're going to see better results with that in a PCOS patient, someone with estrogen dominance, for example, probably has some either sluggish liver or slow, you know, her gut integrity is compromised. So I actually like to give her bone broth because we know that the glycosaminoglycans that are in the bone broth are going to help, you know, with the, with the, um, repairing of the intestinal, like the epithelial lining in the gut. So I get, I mean, the, you know, I, I, I hate answering it depends, but it it really does. Like it really does depend, you know, for women, but
0: but in general, we can fast. It's just, that you have to, it depends on what's your hormone situation like and all that, but it's a good tool, right. For like weight loss and stuff. But we, we also shouldn't just be going like, Oh, I heard of this new trend of fasting. I'm just going to do it.
1: Yeah. You should never just jump into a multi-day fast. Like I think, and I also outline this in the book, if you're new to fasting, you know, or you know, even if we just, if you go to a beach, right, what is more pleasant, like slowly wading into the water or like jumping out of a plane into the water, right? Like it's much nicer to slowly wade in. And the same is true with fasting. We want to slowly build up our tolerance to fasting. Cause if you've never fasted before, this is going to be, first of all, it's going to feel it's terrible. Very hard. It's very it's hard. hard
0: to do. Mm-hmm. And you're its and like the- a muscle, right? You have to like work at it. You can't just start with the like three day fast.
1: Correct, And you're not going to come back to it if it was painful, right? That's the other, you know, potentially the more important piece here. Like we can all do something that's uncomfortable one time or two times, but if it's really painful and you hate it and you're miserable, you're not going to do it again. So, you know, we want to be able to keep some of these tools in our arsenal to be able to like sort of flexibly use them as we need to. But again, we want to be smart about it. We don't want to just jump right in. Like, you know, health shouldn't be punitive. Like it shouldn't be hard. It should feel easy. And I think women are often, you know, in the nutrition realm and in other realms, we are way too hard on ourselves. We are always blaming ourselves for why something didn't work out, whether it's a relationship or a diet or, you know, whatever. And I think, I think that health should be easier. It should be easier than what I think we make it out to be.
0: I agree. I agree hundred percent. So let's talk about your book. Got it on Friday. Yay. Love it. I'm like almost done with it. I love reading. I love how it's so well-rounded and you incorporate all the things that we need to work on. And it's like no fluff. I've read so many like nutrition, health, hormone books, and they're just like, I'm like, oh my God, get to the point. And right. you're just like, okay, this is, let's yeah. go. This is what we need to do. I right. love this concept, how you say that our periods are our superpower. And let me tell you prior to like finding out about you. And then I kind of heard a little bit more about this cycle syncing thing. I used to despise my period. I used to be like, I, I hate being a woman. I hate having this period, and it, oh, it's just ruins my life. But after reading your book, I'm just like so empowered that like it now is just I see it in a whole different view. Uh, can you talk about why our periods are our superpowers? How we should tap into it and learn to love it instead of despise it, and just like, like think of it as this like evil, evil and flow that's coming to visit us every month. And also kind of how you talk about the different cycles and how we can adjust things. I know you go in depth in the book, so we're not going to go in depth here, but just kind of, you can give an overview of each phase and what we should be focusing on as a woman.
1: Sure. Yeah. And I think your sentiment around like the hating your period and like, why is this happening to me? Why am I a woman? You know, (laughs) this is something that is shared. uh, It is not yours alone. And this is part of the reason why I wanted to write this book because I think so many women, myself included, used to feel like this was my punishment. Like it was like my monthly punishment for being a woman. And it was really, it was really hard. I would, I would medicate, I would have like pain and like the joints and the tender breasts and the, like, I, I, I didn't put this in the book, but I remember one, I was, I think I was maybe 16 or 17 years old, got my period. I was just at the mall, you know, got my period. And it was so bad that, and I didn't have any of my, you know, medication with me. I had to just like hole up in my car, you know, so I was in my backseat of my car for hours just writhing in pain. I couldn't drive because it was so painful. So, you know, and I, like you, it's like, why? Like, I hate this. And I think that many women feel like that. And I, my hope, my wish in writing this book is, as you just said, you said, one of my favorite things is like, I feel so empowered. I hope that women reading this book will feel like, okay, so this is actually how I work. Like this is how it happens. And if there's something going wrong, if I have the angry breasts or the distended belly or the aching joints, if I feel like I'm an 80 year old, you know, there's something deeper that my body's trying to tell me. And it's just my job. You know, I talk about this in the book to become your CPO, right? Like your chief period officer, like to be the executive, the master of your period and to understand how you can fix it. So that is, that's really my wish with the reader. I hope that we become empowered. And I think that a lot of women, you know, we, it's, I think it's a rite of passage for us to understand that our hormones are our superpower. And I talk about this in the book, like there's times of the month where it's, you know, given under the influence of estrogen, like it's a great time to, you know, have a podcast, you know, in your luteal phase, it's great time. You know, your brain is bathing in estrogen, sustained estrogen release, like your verbal articulation center are at their peak. So you're going to be able to have great expression. You're going to be able to draw on your vernacular. It's going to be, you know, wonderful. And there's other times like, you know, the couple days right before your period starts where everything's wrong, right? Like,
0: you know, Oh my God, every single time. And I'm like, what's going on? And then I look at my tracker. Oh, it's coming. It's coming.
1: (laughs) Yeah. But instead of being like, Oh God, it's like my stupid period. This is a, this is called a negativity bias. And what that means is, you know, Boss is wrong, boyfriend's wrong, nothing in the closet fits properly, your nail polish is wrong, like all the things are wrong. But it's allowing you to reflect on the things that are working for you and the things that are no longer working for you. And I have been in, you know, I was a clinician in private practice for 16 years. And a lot of times the physical pain that people were in had to do with a job that they hated, that was now, they were emotionally sick and now it was presenting as a physical sickness. And it was, or it was a partner or a family member that was toxic or they weren't matched well. And there had to be some change around that. And that emotional sickness again, transmuted into physical sickness. So I think that that three or four days where everything is wrong is actually a blessing. Like you can sit and you can say, huh, Okay. So this is like, this is the chance for me to ref- go inward and figure out what's working and what's not. And this is how we can begin to, you know, bring about change in our, in our lives as women.
0: That's awesome. So, and then the, the different phases of the cycle, if you can just quickly run oh, down sure. that. So yeah. what's happening and kind of what we should be focusing on specifically when it comes to our diets. Sure.
1: Yeah. So the first week of your, so the first day that you start bleeding is your bleed week. So that's like the beginning of your period. What's happening is you're shedding your endometrial lining. So, you know, in terms of if we're cycling, you know, the food, this is a great time. If you've never done keto, this is actually a really wonderful time for you to experiment with it. Now first, you know, one or two days, maybe crampy, maybe feeling a little sluggish, but as you sort of get into the swing of things, you know, trying even fasting, this is a great time to start fasting. Your body is much more resilient to some of these more, you know, restricting your carbohydrates or restricting all of your calories with a fast, right? So these are, these are some really great times to experiment and play with that. We see in terms of hormones, like most of the hormones, you know, that are involved in the cycle are relatively low. So estrogens relatively low, progesterone's not there, you know, luteinizing hormone, relatively low. Follicular stimulating hormone is she's kind of working a little bit because she's trying to, you know, develop the follicle. Second week is our, you know, week two, if you will, starts at, you know, your period is going to be about, you know, like the, the average is four to six days, like depends on the person. And then after that, you really move into this week before ovulation. So one of the things that I like to point out for women is that this is the week where your testosterone levels are going to peak as well as your estrogen. So these are two anabolic trophic growth oriented hormones. So this is like plumping up your cheeks, your lips are plumped, your you know eyes are sparkly, you have like your the curves are banging, right? And like you, you also feel really flirty and sexy, like testosterone has, you know, a potent stimulation on our libido and our sex drive. So I will often say like, I know I'm in that week because I'm like chasing my husband around the house, right? Like I'm chasing him around the dining room table. Of the kitchen. I'm like, let's go, you know, like I'm ready. <laughs> so what's, what's happening here, of course, is right before ovulation, which is the main reason why we have a cycle ladies, by the way, it's not your bleed. The bleed is the peer, like the popular girl. We all focus on that, but the main part, the main reason why we have a menstrual cycle is to ovulate, which is to release an egg. That's the main show. So we have this ovulation. Hopefully we have luteinizing hormone comes up, releases, which helps to release the egg from within the follicle. The follicle, now we refer to it as the corpus luteum. So it changes a The follicle. When it has the egg, we call it the follicle. Then when it releases the egg, we call it the corpus luteum. So now we move into the luteal phase. So corpus luteum, luteal phase. And oh, actually, before we even get there. So I actually like in that week where we see estrogen and testosterone rising, I really like to. So we were talking about the protein, increasing the protein. I love to put this week, like to pair up a higher protein week when your testosterone is rising. Cause we, you know, muscle protein synthesis, which I talk about extensively in the book is very important for women. And there's two ways you can build muscle. One is in the gym and the other is in the kitchen. So when you have a lot of protein and you're pairing that with a higher testosterone environment, you are going to build muscle and no, you're not going to get bulky. No, you're not going to look like the Hulk. You're going to have beautiful lean muscle that is going to serve you into menopause and beyond. So now we're in week three, I usually will return to a more ketogenic diet. So we bring down the carbs again. Uh, typically we start to see a bit more inflammatory pro- like if someone has PMS, if they start to see sleep disturbances, digestion, this is sort of the week where we start to see that coming up. So co- bringing down the carbs again are going to help with that inflammatory process. It's going to help reduce inflammation. And then this is where I also like to add in the resistant starches as well. So I talk about this in the book, how to dose your resistant starches and how to sort of increase your tolerance to them as well. And we start this in the luteal phase. And then the last week, which is the week right before your bleed, we've been talking about some of the emotional parameters around this negativity bias, but generally, again, I like to increase your total calories. So whatever, you know, whatever cal- you know, caloric load you've chosen for the first 3 weeks, bump that up by 10 to 15% in week 4 because your body needs it. Your body's making an endometrium. It, it's like making a new organ. So, I promise you're not getting you're not gaining weight because of it. This is just a biological physiological need. So I like to bump up the calories in total by 10 to 15%. And then again, increase your carbs a little bit, bring your protein up as well. So that's, that's an example of how I might cycle someone through a ketogenic diet if they're in their menstrual years.
0: So good. And yeah, you guys can learn more about this in her book. So as we wrap up, let us know where we could get your book, share all your social media links and all the things. So we can connect with you and get more information because everything you shared today was like gold and every woman needs to know this.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. So I would, uh, the only thing I would only add is the other thing that I've done in writing this book is I've actually created program, a program for you. So it's one thing to write a book and talk about all the science and I give you all the application in the book. It's quite another to apply it into real life. So when you go and buy the book, which you can buy anywhere, you can you know buy it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, anywhere where you buy Buy books online. You can find the Betty Body, which is the name of the book. What I want you to do is, after you buy the book, head over to BettyBodyBook.com. That's B E T T Y B O D Y. B O O And then I'm going to give you a program. So I'm going to, I've created a nutrition program. So we're going to talk about how you can do the 28 day, uh, pure ketosis, how you can cycle your keto. So high protein. And I've done all the recipes, all the, you know, there's all the stuff that I've made in my kitchen that sort of adheres to these principles. And then, you know, I know we didn't get a chance to talk a lot today about training and resistance training, but I've also created exercise programs that are designed to be done in the home. So I know with the pandemic, lots of gyms are closed and people aren't, don't have, have access to to their gym, so we created programs for whether you're a beginner all the way up to you know a seasoned expert in terms of how you can be cycling your resistance training to uh, to your cycle, and then we also do rehab as well because that's another big uh, love of mine is, is rehabilitation of the of the musculoskeletal system. So it's all there. So I would love you to go to BettyBodyBook.com, and then you can find me on social. So I'm pretty active on Instagram. So Dr. Stephanie Estima. E S T I M A is my handle.
0: Great. We'll put all those links in the show notes. The ladies can find you there. I want to thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the fit mom squad podcast. If you like today's episode, make sure to leave me a review on iTunes and share this podcast with your friends on social media. Don't forget to tag me at BSB tribe. If you want even more resources, make sure to go to www.bsbtribe.com and head on over to a private community on Facebook, Fit Mom Squad, so that you can get connected with other moms who are crushing their health goals. I can't wait to see you on the inside. Until next time, keep focused on your goals, mama.